recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, October 20th, 2012. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. Tonight I have Sword Brethren with me once more, and we're going to present part three of our series Lewis McFadden, Congressman Lewis McFadden, on the Federal Reserve. We were going to wrap this series up tonight, and and that was the original plan. And um, instead, we decided to present an entire collection of quotes from Lewis McFadden from the years, mostly from the years 1933 and 1934, The first two segments of this series, we presented a speech that he gave in Congress on the Federal Reserve. I understand that the speech was rather mundane in a lot of places because it contained mostly um, a a lot of nuts and bolts banking information and and things like that, things that that, that um, McFadden, being a banker, w- would, of course, have his expertise, and it would be his forte. And to a lot of well, – well, even to me, it, it, it was kind of boring. But, but, but it was interesting in a lot of ways, and, and there were a lot of gems, I believe, in that material. Now we have a wider collection of quotes from the congressional record, which were actually reprinted in 1978 by the Arizona Caucus Club. And, and which are available at the Internet Archive, archive.org, in, in um, PDF and, and text formats and, and other formats. This was originally a 40-page booklet, or, or perhaps more than that, it was 40 pages in, in, in open office, when I opened it in open office. It, was, um, it, it originally included the 1932 McFadden speech on the Federal Reserve, which we've already covered. Now, I've edited the document, and I will post the the results on Christogenia.org when we post this first podcast. It's going to take several weeks to get through this document, or several segments, I should say, of this program. However, in this document, while he didn't really name names, in, in his 1932 speech on the Federal Reserve, he, he only illustrated what was wrong with the system itself. Here, in, in this collection of quotes, McFadden does name names. And, and among this collection are also his formal charges presented to the House against the Federal Reserve board members. And, and the charges list a whole, um, a, a whole collection of what he saw as crimes, just like um, counts on an indictment, and those charges were never acted on, even though they were presented, I, I believe, in 1933. So that will be part of, of the next portion of this presentation However, that part probably won't come until next week. For now, we're going to um, present a a wider collection of his statements over the years 1933 and 1934, going with the flow of this original document. Hello, Brian. 
Hello, thank you for having me on again. And I think at this point I'd like to mention that this Austrian Mises Jewish-inspired crypto Jew Gary North, he rants and raves against McFadden. He's promoting the shill, Ron Paul. He says that no one in the last 100 years has challenged the Federal Reserve. In fact, he goes on to say since 1914 we haven't had anyone who seriously challenged the Fed except Ron Paul and he refers to McFadden as a fringe figure and a hardcore lunatic. He denounces him as an anti-Semite, and then he says that Louis McFadden was a greenbacker whose only objection against the Federal Reserve was that it was a private bank, and he wanted a public bank to print fiat money, along with William Jennings Bryan, who also wanted public banks to print fiat currency. When somebody has, with the education that Mr. North claims to have, he should know what those gentlemen's true position happened to be. And it just so happens that Louis McFadden, I believe, was in favor of a central bank run by the government, not by a private entity, but one that printed money backed by gold and redeemable on demand in gold. And William Jennings Bryan wanted the same thing, only applied to silver, redeemable in silver. So for this Gary North clown to say that the only argument McFadden had and the only argument William Jennings Bryan had was that they don't want a private bank printing fiat money, they want a public state bank printing fiat money. He's purposely misrepresenting their positions, which are very well articulated in their speeches. I mean, William Jennings Bryan, the Cross of Gold speech, makes it pretty clear his opinion on silver. And we just finished McFadden's speech discussing the nature of money, what McFadden's view on money was. So this Gary North clown is just running cover for the Jews, because he is one. Well, well, that's exactly what it seems. That that that's exactly what it seems to me is that Gary North. Yeah, you know, to say that nobody's ever seriously challenged the Federal Reserve, and, and then to attack Lewis McFadden and and out of the other side of his mouth, and, and this guy's supposed to be he bills himself as an economic historian. Lewis McFadden on May twenty third, nineteen thirty three, brought formal charges against the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve Bank System while he was a sitting congressman, while he was chairman of the House Banking Committee. The controller of the currency, he brought formal charges against the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve Bank System, the controller of the currency, and the Secretary of the United States Treasury for numerous criminal acts including but not limited to conspiracy, fraud, unlawful conversion, and treason, okay? He presented that these charges were presented to the House Judiciary Committee in 1933, and they were never acted on. Now, right. I don't know if Ron Paul ever did anything actually in the legislation. I know he's talked a lot about the, the Federal Reserve in rhetoric. I don't know if he's done anything in legislation. I don't follow Ron Paul because uh, uh, he's just another political shill to me. He's just another hack. According to a Gary North article, this is a direct quote, that's, that is pretty much it, 1914 to 2009. This is why Ron Paul's bill to audit the Fed is such a breakthrough. For the first time since 1914, the Fed is being called into question. Well, I, I guess he just ignores the 30s then, so McFadden never called the Fed into question. That was all just a hoax. It was a, a, fictional, a work of fiction. Well, 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 well charge brought against the Federal Reserve Bank, the, the Board of Governors, that, that's a serious challenge to the Federal Reserve System. However, it was, he's only one congressman, right, in, in, in a body that, that probably included 380 to 400 members at the time, I'm guessing, right, because we've added a few states since then, right? But, but, yeah. um, 
but but basically it, it's he's only one congressman and, and he did more than his role here. Uh, there I mean, were others too. I mean William Jennings Bryan. I think Huey Long was against the banking system. Gerald L. K. Smith, Father Charles Coughlin, and Gary North has nothing positive to say about any of those individuals. He denounces Coughlin as a greenbacker who wanted public fiat money. He explicitly denounces McFadden as an anti. Semitic conspiracy theorist lunatic on the fringe. And this is a mainstream politician who was a professional career banker, and he's an authority on banking. I would think that McFadden has earned the right to speak in, about banking, and he spoke intelligently about banking. It was his field, his profession. He's not just some, you know, crazy man we plucked off a farm in Kansas or some man from a cave in Kentucky. Well, well, it's pretty clear that Gary North is a shill. He himself is is just a a, a shill. He he's just covering, running cover for the Jewish system and and trying. He's part of the problem that anyone who tries to keep the boundaries of the argument within the limitations of uh, within the paradigm of the capitalist, the Jewish capitalist usury based money system. Anyone who tries to keep the argument there is simply doing the handiwork of the Jews. Right. So we're allowed to debate Austrian versus Keynesian monetary policy, but we can't touch the issue of usury. We can't touch the issue of Jewish control of international finance, Jewish control of Wall Street, Jewish manipulation of the debt system. And we really can't address the issue of Jewish control of the central banks. But we can debate whether or not the Fed should print this much. We can debate that quantitative easing is bad. So we're allowed to debate certain things, but we can't get to the heart of the issue, and the heart of the issue is the Jews in their debt system, their usury debt financing. Well, well, right. No matter what kind of gas you want to put in the machine, it's still the same machine, right? Uh, I mean, it, it basically well, is. Harry North will write a thousand-page book. Murray Rothbard will write a thousand-page book, and there's foolish goyim out there that'll build a career around studying Austrian Jewish commentary on monetary policy, and they'll say, oh, I've got it all figured out. I've got this wonderful economic system. If only we could implement this. Elect Ron Paul, the Jews, would, they'd be given two black eyes and a broken jaw, when really we'd just be trading a Jewish-run Federal Reserve for a Jewish-run Treasury Department, because I'm pretty sure a Ron Paul presidency, sure, he, he might end the Fed, but what would he replace it with? A, a Treasury Department filled with all of his favorite Austrian Mises Jewish economist buddies. Well, well, that is what it boils down to. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. As long as we have a, as long as we subscribe to the idea of capitalism and capitalism is Jewish, what we're caught in the paradigm, what we're drowned in the matrix, and, and we're never going to get out. And, and Christians should not have anything to do with Jewish capitalism and, and a usury-based money system. We should reject it. I mean, we have to deal with it. You know what? We have to, in real terms, we, we have to deal with it because we're stuck in this Babylonian world system until it crashes. That, that's um, a matter of prophecy. There's no way that we're going to get around that. However, we have to recognize it as evil, and we can't exhaust our energy looking for solutions to our problems as long as... The Jews hold all the purse strings, print all the money, it, it's, and, and we have a usury-based system. It's evil. We have to recognize that it's evil, and the only solution to it is that it has to come down. 
it has to be destroyed. That's the only solution. And as long as we're arguing about Keynes and, and Adam Smith and, and all the others, we're just wasting our time. It's just a total waste of resources. The, the usury is the problem. Jewish usury is the problem. And until we get rid of that, then, then we're never going to have an honest money system, period. And an honest system of exchange, period. Just like people would prefer, when I say people, I mean the Jews and the people manipulating our society. They'd prefer that we spend an eternity with the Republican-Democrat debate instead of the us-versus-them debate, with us being white Christians and them being Jews. So we can find salvation in neither of the two parties. But they want us debating that indefinitely. Well, well right. They want to keep us caught in, 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 in the um, the... Democracy is a political paradigm. Capitalism as an economic paradigm. That they're all giant traps, which, which um, two hundred years or three hundred years of, of Talmudic treachery have developed for us. That they're boxes Jews built. If all the cards are marked and the deck is stacked, why even sit down at the table? Why ask to be dealt in? Don't play the game. Absolutely. Okay. Let, let me um, get to the beginning of this document. This is a collection of comments. That, this is several things. This document is several things. It was basically an entire compilation of the statements, speeches, remarks of Lewis McFadden, which were made from 1932 through the end of his political career in 1934, I believe. Quotations from several speeches made on the floor of the House of Representatives by the Honorable Louis T. McFadden of Pennsylvania. Mr. McFadden, and, and we had talked about his background as a banker when we, when we initiated this, this series of programs. Mr. McFadden, due to his having served as chairman of the Banking and Currency Committee for more than 10 years, was the best posted man on these matters in America and was in a position to speak with authority on the vast ramifications of this gigantic private credit monopoly, which is what the Federal Reserve is. As a representative of the state, which was among the first to declare its freedom from foreign money tyrants, it is, and, and that's talking about the, the um, revolution, the, the, the American Revolution. It is fitting that Pennsylvania, the cradle of liberty, be, and, and that's another mirage, right? Be again given the credit for producing a son that was not afraid to hurl defiance in the face of the money bund, B-U-N-D. Whereas Mr. McFadden was elected to the high office on both the Democratic and Republican tickets. There can be no accusation of partisanship lodged against him. Because these speeches are set out in full in the congressional record, they carry weight that no amount of condemnation on the part of private individuals could hope to carry. You want to start with the, the, the um, Great Britain partner in blackmail? Great Britain partner in blackmail. Mr. Chairman, the Fed has offered to collect the British claims in full from the American public by trickery and corruption. 
if Great Britain will help to conceal its crimes. The British are shielding their agents, the Fed, because they do not wish that system of robbery to be destroyed here. They wish it to continue for their benefit. By means of it, Great Britain has become the financial mistress of the world. She has regained the position she occupied before the World War. Uh, let me object a comment, Brian. I, I'm sorry. That this, that this part of this document seems to be, it, it wasn't delineated in the original book. It seems to be a continuation of the 1932 speech. And um, what we're not told, and, and, and the original source we had for that 1932 speech did not have the, this, um, this section in it. So, so I'm not really, I just wanted to qualify that, that I'm not really 100% positive whether this is actually a part of that speech or if it's, other, it, it's a part of other um, speeches that McFadden gave in this two-year period. Certainly. And, of course, we would understand that Great Britain becoming the financial mistress of the world, more properly, Jews based in and operating out of Great Britain. Well, well that's would... McFadden's assertion is that the Federal Reserve is basically just a front for the Rothschild bankers. And as we get to the, to the um, later parts of this collection of documents, McFadden makes a lot of comments and connects the Warburgs and the Schiffs. And Schiff was one of the prominent bankers that, that, that got the Federal Reserve put into place, and along with a list of other treacher, treacherous acts. And um, he connects the Warburgs and the Schiffs to the Rothschilds, and especially the Schiff, Jacob Schiff, and shows how that, and, and he makes the assertions that Jacob Schiff had been the um, primary source of funding for the Bolshevik Revolution in, 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 in Russia, that he, being an agent of London, had the Bolshevik Revolution financed from Wall Street, that the Rothschilds basically owned Soviet Russia. Well, that's not even an extreme view, because if I'm not mistaken, we have covered British documentary evidence from the British government and American government documentary evidence that asserts the exact same claim. Well, well, right, and, and that was the um, the position we took, and, and rather solidly when we were presenting those documents, right? And my grandmother's explained that it was fairly common knowledge in, in her day that citizens on the street more or less understood that Wall Street was dominated by Jews who had financed communism, and that it wasn't an extreme or conspiratorial view. There was nothing controversial about it. Continuing. For several years, she has been a silent partner in the business of the Fed. Under threat of blackmail or by their bribery or by their native treachery to the people of the United States, the officials in charge of the Fed unwisely gave Great Britain immense gold loans running into hundreds of millions of dollars. They did this against the law. Those gold loans were not single transactions. They gave Great Britain a borrowing power in the United States of billions. She squeezed billions out of this country by means of her control of the Fed. And this would be coming in 32-33, right? So at some point, they must have been so hard up for gold, they pushed forth with the um, gold confiscation scheme of Roosevelt. And what was that, 34, if I'm not mistaken? Do you remember Roosevelt's gold confiscation program? He talks about that in the later parts of this document. All right. 
As soon as the Hoover moratorium was announced, Great Britain moved to consolidate her gains. After the treacherous signing away of American rights at the Seven Power Conference at London in July 1931, which put the Fed under the control of the Bank of International Settlements, Great Britain began to tighten the hangman's noose around the neck of the United States. And I wonder, has there ever been any organization or entity with the word international in its name that wasn't evil? Well, there's never been a, an organization or entity that I know of with the word international in its name that wasn't controlled by the Rothschilds. So whenever you hear the word international, it, it's nothing pleasant. International Monetary Fund. And, and the Bank of International Settlements. One doesn't even wonder, I, I have to wonder, what, what's going on with that name? It, it doesn't convey much, does it? International Settlements. Well, well, that was that that was set up. I think uh, I, I'm probably mistaken about this because I'm probably confused. That this was set up, I think, under the Bretton Woods Agreement. What was it? it? It was set up right after the Federal Reserve was set up. This bank was set up in in order to um, well, well to to exchange currencies and pay bills between all of the Rothschild-controlled governments of the world. I, I believe it's somewhere along those lines we're looking at. She abandoned the gold standard and embarked on a campaign of buying up the claims of foreigners against the Fed in all parts of the world. She has now set her bailiff, sent her bailiff, Ramsey MacDonald, here to get her war debt to this country canceled. But she has a club in her hands. She has title to the gambling debts which the corrupt and dishonest Fed incurred abroad. Ramsey MacDonald the Labor Party deserter, has come here to compel the president to sign on the dotted line, and that is what Roosevelt is about to do. Roosevelt will endeavor to conceal the nature of his action from the American people, but he will obey the international bankers and transfer the war debt that Great Britain should pay to the American people, to the shoulders of the American taxpayers. Mr. Chairman, the bank holiday in the several states What's that, Bill? I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Mr. Chairman, the bank holiday in the several states was brought about by the corrupt and dishonest Fed. These institutions manipulated money and credit and caused the states to order bank holidays. These holidays were frame-ups. They were dress rehearsals for the national bank holiday, which Franklin Roosevelt promised Sir Ramsey MacDonald that he would declare. There was no national emergency here when Franklin D. Roosevelt took office, accepting the bankruptcy of the Fed, a bankruptcy which has been going on undercover for several years and which has been concealed from the people so that the people would continue to permit their bank deposits and their bank reserves and their gold and the funds of the United States Treasury to be impounded in these bankrupt institutions. Oh, Okay, before you proceed, I have an apology to make that the um, Bretton Woods system didn't come into play until 1944, and that established the IMF and the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. The Bank for International Settlements was what well, was begun in 1930. However, it is a, a bank. It, it's the bank of the central banks. It, it, uh, all of the central banks, their loans and, and, and um, payments to each other are coordinated through the Bank for International Settlements. All right. It's the it, it's 
it, it's the um the the engine of Jewish. It, it's the engine of the Jewish vacuum cleaner that sucks the wealth out of nations. I'm being sarcastic, right? And how many nations participate in this system? Well, well, every nation that has a central bank participates in this system. So, the nations that don't have central banks, if we were the check, they would probably, by some strange, absolute, pure coincidence, be the same nations that we're all pointing weapons at, and that we've called the axis of evil. Well, well, right, they're all the axis of evil, right? But the, but the list is rapidly shrinking. Well, that's because we're taking them out one by one, right? So the freedom fighters in Libya, the first thing on their mind when they seize a sizable city, Benghazi, they start a central bank because we know that that's what all peasant rebels are excited about, right? The prospect of forming a central bank. That was their first official act, I I swear. It must have been. So illiterate desert nomads who are rising up in rebellion, and the first thing they do is form a central bank. Well, they want... They want visa cards, I guess, so that they so that they could go to McDonald's and and order from Abercrombie and Fitch. All right. Undercover, the predatory international bankers have been stealthily transferring the burden of the Fed's debts to the people's treasury and to the people themselves. They, the farms and the homes of the, they have the farms and homes of the United States to pay for their thievery. That is the only national emergency that there has been here since the Depression began. The week before the bank holiday was declared in New York State, the deposits in the New York savings banks were greater than the withdrawals. There were no runs on New York banks. There was no need of a bank holiday in New York or of a national holiday. Roosevelt and the international bankers. Roosevelt did what the international bankers ordered him to do. Do not deceive yourself, Mr. Chairman, or permit yourself to be deceived by others into the belief that Roosevelt's dictatorship is in any way intended to benefit the people of the United States. He is preparing to sign on the dotted line. He is preparing to cancel the war debts by fraud. He is preparing to internationalize this country and to destroy our Constitution itself in order to keep the Fed intact as a money institution for foreigners. Mr. Chairman, I see no reason why citizens of the United States should be terrorized into surrendering their property to the international bankers who own and control the Fed. The statement that gold would be taken from its lawful owners if they did not voluntarily surrender it to private interests show that there is an anarchist in our government. The statement that it is necessary for the people to give their gold, the only real money, to the banks in order to protect the currency, is a statement of calculated dishonesty. By his unlawful usurpation of power on the night of March 5, 1933, and by his proclamation, which in my opinion was in violation of the Constitution of the United States, Roosevelt divorced the currency of the United States from gold, and the United States currency is no longer protected by gold. It is therefore sheer dishonesty to say that the people's gold is needed to protect the currency. Roosevelt ordered the people to give their gold to private interests, that is, to banks, and he took control of the banks so that all the gold and gold values in them or given into them might be handed over to the predatory international bankers who own and control the Fed. Roosevelt cast his lot with the usurers. 
He agreed to save the corrupt and dishonest at the expense of the people of the United States. He took advantage of the people's confusion and wariness and spread the dragnet over the United States to capture everything of value that was left in it. He made a great haul for the international bankers. The Prime Minister of England came here for the money. He came here to collect cash. He came here with Fed currency and other claims against the Fed, which England had bought up in all parts of the world, and he has presented them for redemption in gold. Mr. Chairman, I'm in favor of compelling the Fed to pay their own debts. I see no reason why the general public should be forced to pay the gambling debts of the international bankers. And that's, you know, it's still going on today with these bailouts. It's just what what the the taxpayers are always stuck with the bill and never collecting the profits. It's a scam. That the entire federal, that the entire um, central banking system is simply a scam. So some Jew from Britain can show up here with a bunch of Federal Reserve notes in his hand, and suddenly that's a claim on our stuff. When we've never entered into a contract with him, we have no debt to him. We don't know who he is. We've never dealt with him, and we're not his business partner. We owe him nothing. The Federal Reserve is taking out debt in our name, aren't they? Well, well, that's that. That's what um, McFadden had illustrated. Through the entire 1932 speech that that we presented here, and the entire gist of the speech was that the Federal Reserve got to take out debt in our name and and profit from that debt. Well, that's well, no different from check fraud. Well, well, the American people have to write the entire bill, right? Well, well, it is fraud. There's no doubt. So I'm going to go on a spending spree. I'm going to sign your name to the bill. And then when the bill shows up at your house and you wonder how this happened, the court tells you you have to pay because I've taken out all that debt in your name and and Congress gave me the power to do it. That's just a colossal fraud. Well, well, the Federal Reserve is a colossal fraud. It's a fraud so big that even the people that, um, that, 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 that helped to enact the bill didn't. I, I don't even think they understood it. I really don't. Roosevelt seizes the gold. By his action in closing the banks of the United States, Roosevelt seized the gold value of 40 billions or more of bank deposits in the United States banks. Those deposits were deposits of gold values. By his action, he has rendered them payable to the depositors in paper only, if payable at all, and the paper money he proposes to pay out to bank depositors and to the people generally in lieu of their hard-earned gold values in itself and being based on nothing into which the people can convert it, the said paper money is of negligible value altogether. The, the dollar today is only worth anything because the, the people agree that it's worth something, because you're willing to take it, because you're willing to accept it. It, it has absolutely no value. It, it actually has negative value. You know, the, the Roosevelt Gold Confiscation Act in 1933, it forbade the hoarding of gold or silver coin or bullion or currency under penalty of up to $10,000 and up to five to ten years imprisonment. Executive Order 6102 required all persons to deliver on or before 1st May 1933 all but a small amount of gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates owned by them to the Federal Reserve in exchange for $20.67 per ounce. 
and this was part of the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, which had been amended by the Emergency Banking Act of 1933. So trading with the enemy, the Federal Reserve is the enemy. And who, who is Roosevelt to say that your gold is worth 20.67 an ounce? Well, well it, it, it was a criminal act that Congress and and, and the military and and the um, the courts allowed him to get away with it. He should have been impeached and indicted. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to tell at exactly what point American citizens should have been marching on Washington with pitchforks and and skies. It, it's hard to say. I mean, it could be 1912. It could be. 1861. Uh, I mean, pick a date. Uh, I mean, it should have been as soon as George Washington um, tried to tried to issue a um, a stamp tax, and and we had the whiskey rebellion. That that was wrong. Well, well, our country's been in long term decline ever since the revolution ended. Well, well, exactly. With only a few periods of interruption, such as Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson. Well, well, even Thomas Jefferson did wrong. I mean, the first act of American imperialism was to to send out our Navy to to the Mediterranean to squash pirates for for the interest of private merchants. Hmm. The the Marines, to Tripoli. They didn't conquer anything, though. They just crushed the pirates and came back. Right. But but still, it's an act of imperialism. It, it's an act that it's using the, the United States military for the benefit of, of certain international merchants. Mm-hmm. So so right there, as far as I'm concerned, that's wrong. All right. We continue. It is the money of slaves, not of free men. If the people of the United States permit it to be imposed upon them at the will of their credit masters the next step in their downward progress will be their acceptance of orders on company stores for what they eat and wear. Their case will be similar to that of starving coal miners. They too will be paid with orders on company stores for food and clothing, both of indifferent quality and be forced to live in company owned houses from which they may be evicted at the drop of a hat. More of them will be forced into conscript labor camps under supervision. At noon on the 4th of March, 1933, FDR, with his hand on the Bible, took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. At midnight on the night of the 5th of March, 1933, he confiscated the property of American citizens. He took the currency of the United States standard of value. He repudiated the internal debt of the government to its own citizens. He destroyed the value of the American dollar, He released or endeavored to release the Fed from their contractual liability to redeem Fed currency and gold or lawful money on a parity with gold. He depreciated the value of the national currency. Well, I guess he must have prayed the Colnider early that year then. (laughs) The people of the United States are now using unredeemable paper slips for money. The Treasury cannot redeem that paper in gold or silver. The gold and silver of the treasury has been unlawfully given to the corrupt and dishonest Fed, and the administration has since had the effrontery to raid the country for more gold for the private interests by telling our patriotic citizens that their gold is needed to protect the currency. 
it seems that the, the American people are such dupes. All you have to do is tell them that the government needs you, your nation needs you, give us everything, give us your gold, give us your firstborn son for our, our latest, you know, war so we can be cannon fodder for the Jews. And they all just line up to, to bow and worship at the altar of big government. It's very sickening. When do you see this mentality of the government as God as it's having first started to come about? Well, well, it's 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 hard to tell. Uh, I mean, it was already fully set in with, with the New Deal. Mm-hmm. It seems the the people that came of age in 1890, 1900, 1910, the people that would have been old enough to vote in the the Woodrow Wilson elections, 1912 and then 1916, they really dropped the ball, didn't they? Well, well, I think yeah, you know, it, it's I can't be entirely positive, but my my general perception is that with the flood of immigrants from southern and eastern europe it 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 that changed that that tilted the the scales to dependence on big government and and handouts in this country that's my opinion that that those people did not have that they were mostly catholic that they they were mostly white. They weren't all white. They were mostly what we would consider pure white. They weren't all though. That there were a lot of Jews in 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 that immigration wave in the 1880s, 1890s, 1910. But when they let Southern and Eastern Europeans in in large numbers, that these people had had been um that they had a totally different historical experience and, and social and cultural experience than the people who were from Northwest Europe who, whose ancestors fought the, the, the revolution, they fought the War of 1812, they fought that the, um, even the Civil War, and, and they had a much more independent and, and mindset and, and a, a will to... Um, the individual and the trust in God that, that the Southern and Eastern Europeans didn't have. Well, if you look at the um, 1916 election, though, it was very close. The Republican Charles Hughes almost won. In fact, if, if looking at the Southern states, all the former Confederate states went for Wilson. And if just Texas had gone for Hughes, he would have won. So all it would have taken was Texas or just, you know, Alabama and Mississippi or Louisiana and Mississippi. Yeah, yeah but there's a different dynamic in play there. And the dynamic in play there was the anti-Republicanism that, that's what was left in the mouth of the South after Abraham Lincoln, right? And the, the hatred of the Republican Party from Reconstruction. Right. Even though the Democratic candidate is an Eastern establishment bigwig, yet, you know, it, it's um, that they still wouldn't vote Republican. They didn't so, start voting Republican until Ronald Reagan, I think. I, I don't know. Nixon and his Southern. R- Richard Nixon, yeah, Richard Nixon. The the South has voted Democrat much to its detriment for most of the last 120 years, pretty much. Well, well, right, but I think that's an intergenerational thing. People are Democrats because their parents are Democrats, and their parents were Democrats because their parents were Democrats, and their parents were Democrats because they hated Abraham Lincoln. I, I mean, what what? Yeah, you know, it, it's um, my my mother was raised a Democrat, and she was always a Democrat, and she didn't start to wake up until ten years ago, and 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 look at it more objectively. That and and she's a Massachusetts Democrat, right? I I mean, vote for Kennedy. 
whichever Kennedy's running, it don't matter. All right. It, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a sick mentality. People sign up for politicians, they sign up for parties, like, like they sign up for, like they root for football teams, right? Well, it seems people are a lot more likely to change their team affiliation. If they move across the country, they start rooting for another team, where with political parties, you, you, they're, they're more likely to change their religion, I'd say, or their church affiliation than their political affiliation. Well, well right, but it's basically the same mentality. But at the heart of it, both of the two main parties, Republican, Democrat, at this day and age, there's there's no functional difference. They're all bought and paid for. Absolutely. The policies are the same, except on, on a few very thin marginal issues. All right. The administration has since had the infantry to raid the country for more gold for the private interests by telling our patriotic citizens that their gold is needed to protect the currency. It is not being used to protect the currency. It is being used to protect the corrupt and dishonest Fed. The directors of these institutions have committed criminal offense against the United States government, including the offense of making false entries on their books and the still more serious offense of unlawfully abstracting funds from the United States Treasury. Roosevelt's gold raid is intended to help them out of the pit they dug for themselves when they gambled away the wealth and savings of the American people. Would you like to pick up on dictatorship? The international bankers set up a dictatorship here because they wanted a dictator who would protect them. They wanted a dictator who would, pro- who would protect them. That, that's, a, that's a repeat in the document. They wanted a dictator who would issue a proclamation giving the Fed an absolute and unconditional release from their special currency in gold or lawful money of any Fed bank. Has Roosevelt relieved any other class of debtors in this country from the necessity of paying their debts? Has he made a proclamation telling the farmers that they need not pay their mortgages? Has he made a proclamation to the effect that mothers of starving children need not pay their milk bills? Has he made a proclamation relieving the householders from the necessity of paying rent? Roosevelt's two kind of laws. Not he. He has issued one kind of proclamation only, and that is a proclamation to relieve international bankers and the foreign debtors of the United States government. Mr. Chairman, the gold in the banks of this country belongs to the American people who have had paper money contracts for it in the form of national currency. If the Fed cannot keep their contracts with United States citizens to redeem their paper money in gold or lawful money, then the Fed must be taken over by the United States government and their officers must be put on trial. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? There must be a day of reckoning. If the Fed have looted the Treasury so that the Treasury cannot redeem the United States currency for which it is liable in gold, then the Fed must be driven out of the Treasury. Mr. Chairman, a gold certificate is a warehouse receipt for gold in the Treasury, and the man who has a gold certificate is the actual owner of a corresponding amount of gold stacked in the Treasury subject to his order. Now comes Roosevelt, who seeks to render the money of the United States worthless by unlawfully declaring 
that it may no longer be converted into gold at the will of the holder. And he he has, um, that, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know how the Congress let him get away with it. Roosevelt's next haul for the international bankers was the reduction in the pay of all federal employees. Next in order are the veterans of all wars, many of whom are aged and in, 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 infirm and others sick and disabled. These men had their lives adjusted for them by acts of Congress determining the amounts of the pensions and while it is meant that every citizen should sacrifice himself for the good of the United States, I see no reason why those poor people, these aged Civil War veterans and war widows and half-starved veterans of the World War, should be compelled to give up their pensions for the financial benefit of the international vultures who have looted the treasury, bankrupted the country, and traitorously delivered the United States to a foreign foe. There are many ways of raising revenue that are better than that barbaric act of injustice. Why not collect from the Fed the amount they owe, and, and here's the kicker right here, because this is the, the truth. Why not collect from the Fed the amount they owe the U.S. Treasury in interest on all the Fed currency they have taken from the government? That would put billions of dollars into the U.S. Treasury. Well, well of course, nobody sees it that way. If FDR is as honest as he pretends to be, he will have done that immediately. And in addition, why not compel the Fed to disclose their profits and to pay the government its share? Until this is done, it is rank dishonesty to talk of maintaining the credit of the U.S. government. My own salary as a member of Congress has been reduced, and while I am willing to give my part of it that has been taken away from me to the U.S. government, I regret that the U.S. government has suffered itself to be brought so low by the vultures and crooks who are now operating the roulette wheels and faro tables in the Fed, that it is now obliged to show itself on the mercy of its legislators and chairmen, its clerks and its poor pensioners, and to take that money out of our pockets to make good the, the defalcations and of the the defaultations, I believe, of the international bankers who were placed in control of the treasury and given the monopoly of U.S. currency by the misbegotten Fed. I am well aware that the international bankers who drive up to the door of the United States Treasury in their limousines look down with scorn upon members of Congress because we work for so little while they draw millions a year. The difference is that we earn or try to earn what we get, and they steal the greater part of their takings. Enemies of the people they rob. I do not like to see the vivid sections performed on human beings. I do not like to see the American people used for experimental purposes by the credit masters of the United States. They predicted among themselves that they would be able to produce a condition here in which American citizens would be completely humbled and left starving and penniless in the streets. The fact that they made that assertion while they were fomenting their conspiracy against the United States, that they like to see a human being, especially an American, stumbling from hunger when he walks. Something should be done about it, they say, five-cent meals or something. But FDR will not permit the House of Representatives to investigate the condition of the Fed. FDR will not do that. 
he has certain international bankers to serve. They, they do not look to him as the man higher up who will protect them from the just wrath of an outraged people. The international bankers have always hated our pensioners. A man with a small pension is a ward of the government. He is not dependent upon them for a salary or wages. They cannot control him. They do not like him. It gave them great pleasure, therefore, to slash the veterans. But FDR will never do anything to embarrass his financial supporters. He will cover up the crimes of the Fed. Before he was elected, Mr. Roosevelt advocated a return to the earlier practices of the Fed, thus admitting its corruptness. The Democratic platform advocated a change in the personnel of the Fed. These were campaign bait. As a prominent Democrat lately remarked to me, there is no new deal. The same old crowd is in control. The claims of foreign creditors of the Fed have no validity in law. The foreign creditors were the receivers and the willing receivers of stolen goods. They have received through their banking fences immense amounts of currency, and that currency was unlawfully taken from the United States Treasury by the Fed. England discovered the irregularities of the Fed quite early in its operations and through fear. Apparently, the Fed had for years suffered themselves to be blackmailed and dragooning England to share in the business of the Fed. The Fed have unlawfully taken many millions of dollars of the public credit of the United States and have given it to the foreign sellers on the security of the debt paper of foreign buyers in purely foreign transactions. And when the foreign buyers refused to meet their obligations and the Fed saw no honest way in getting the stolen goods back into their possession, they decided by control of the executive, meaning Roosevelt, to make the American people pay their losses. Conspiracy of war debts. They likewise entered into a conspiracy to deprive the people of the United States of their title to the war debts and not being able to do that in the way they intended. They are now engaged in an effort to debase the American dollar so that foreign governments will have their debts to this country cut in two. And then by means of other vicious underhanded arrangements, they propose to remit the remainder. That these are um, debts from debts that other, well, the debts that European nations owe the United States from the First World War, right? So far as the U.S. is concerned, the gambling counters have no legal standing. The U.S. Treasury cannot be compelled to make good the gambling ventures of the corrupt and dishonest Fed. Still less should the bank deposits of the U.S. be used for that purpose. Still less should the national currency have been made irredeemable in gold so that the gold which was massed and stored to redeem the currency for American citizens may be used to pay the gambling debts of the Fed for England's benefit. The American people should have their gold in their own possession where it cannot be held under secret agreement. For any foreign central bank or world bank or foreign nation. Our own citizens have the prior claim to it. The paper money men have in their possession deserves redemption far more than U.S. currency and credit which was stolen from the U.S. Treasury and bootlegged abroad. Why should the foreigners 
be made preferred creditors of the bankrupt United States. Why should the U.S. be treated as bankrupt at all? This government has immense sums due it from the Fed. The directors of these institutions are men of great wealth. Why should the guilty escape the consequences of their misdeeds? Why should the people of the U.S. surrender the value of their gold bank deposits to pay off the gambling debts of these bankers? Why should Roosevelt promise foreigners that the U.S. will play the part of a good neighbor and, in quotes, he has the words, meeting its obligations. Let the Fed meet their own obligations. Every member of the Fed should be compelled to disgorge, and every acceptance banker and every discount corporation which has made illegal profits by means of public credit unlawfully bootlegged out of the U.S. Treasury and hired out by the crooks and vultures of the Fed should be compelled to disgorge. The Federal Reserve pays no taxes. Gambling debts due to the foreign receivers of stolen goods should not be paid by sacrificing our title to our war debts. The assets of the U.S. Treasury, which belong to all of the people of the United States, and which it is our duty to preserve inviolate in the people's treasury. The U.S. Treasury cannot be liable for them. The Fed currency must be redeemed by the Fed banks or else these Fed banks must be liquidated. We know from assertions made here by the Honorable John N. Garner, John Nance Garner, Vice President of the United States, that there is a condition in the United States such would cause American citizens, if they knew what it was, to lose all confidence in their government. That is a condition that Roosevelt will not have investigated. He has brought with him from Wall Street James Warburg, the son of Paul M. Warburg. Mr. Warburg, alien-born and the son of an alien, who did not become naturalized here until several years after this Warburg's birth, is a son of a former partner of Kuhn, Loeb, and Company, a grandson of, a lo- of, of another partner, a nephew of a former partner, and a nephew of a present partner. He holds no office in our government, but I am told that he is in daily attendance at the Treasury and that he has private quarters there. In other words, Mr. Chairman, Kuhn Loeb and Company now has control and occupies the U.S. Treasury. This is 1933, right? Preferred treatment for foreigners. The text of the executive order which seems to place an embargo on shipments of gold permits the Secretary of the Treasury, a former director of the corrupt, to issue licenses at his discretion discretion for the export of gold coin or bullion, a former director of the corrupt Kuhn Loeb and Company. I, I, I believe some of the text is actually um, dropped out of this document to issue licenses at his discretion for the export of gold coin or bullion earmarked or held in trust for a recognized foreign government or foreign central bank for international settlement. Now, Mr. Chairman, if gold held in trust for those foreign institutions may be sent to them, I see no reason why gold held in trust for Americans as evidenced by their gold certificates and other currency issued by the U.S. government should not be paid to them. I think that American citizens should be entitled to treatment at least as good as that 
which the person is extending to foreign governments, foreign central banks, and the Bank of International Settlements. I think a veteran of the World War with a $20 gold certificate is at least as much entitled to receive his own gold for it as any international banker in the city of New York or London. By the terms of this executive order, gold may be exported if it is actually required for the fulfillment of any contract entered into prior to the date of this order by an applicant who, in obedience to the executive order of April 5, 1933, has delivered gold coin, gold bullion, or gold certificates. This means that the gold may be exported to pay the obligations abroad of the Fed, which were incurred prior to the date of the order, namely April 20th, 1933. If a European bank should send $100 million in federal currency to a bank in Fed currency to a bank in this country for redemption, that bank could easily ship gold to Europe in exchange for that currency. Such Fed currency would represent contracts entered into prior to the date of the order. If the Bank of International Settlements or any other foreign bank holding any of the present gambling debt paper of the Fed should draw a draft for the settlement of such obligation, gold would be shipped to them because the debt contract would have been entered into prior to the date of order. Crimes and Criminals. On May 23, 1933, Congressman Lewis T. McFadden brought formal charges against the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve Bank System, the Comptroller of the Currency, and the Secretary of the United States Treasury for numerous criminal acts, including, but not limited to, conspiracy, fraud, unlawful conversion, and treason. The petition for articles of impeachment was thereafter referred to the Judiciary Committee and has yet to be acted on. It was never acted on. And the people who published this document in 1978 asked that it be reprinted, reposted, and circulated far and wide. Here are those charges. Mr. Speaker, this is Lewis McFadden, May 23, 1933. Mr. Speaker, I rise to a question of constitutional privilege. Whereas I charge Eugene Meyer, Roy A. Young, these are ostensibly Federal Reserve Board members, right? Edmund Piatt, Eugene B. Black, Adolph Casper Muller, or Miller, Charles S. Hamlin, George R. James, Andrew W. Mellon, Ogden L. Mills, William H. Wu, W. Poole, J.F.T. O'Connor, members of the Federal Reserve Board, F.H. Curtis, J.H. Chain, or Cheney, R.L. Austin, George D. Camp, L.B. Williams, W.W. Hoxton, Oscar Newton, E.M. Stevens, J.S. Wood, J.N. Payton, M.L. McClure, C.C. Walsh, Isaac B. Newton, Federal Reserve agents, jointly and severally, with violations of the Constitution and laws of the United States. And whereas I charge them with having taken funds from the U.S. Treasury, which were not appropriated by, them, by the Congress of the United States, and I charge them with having unlawfully taken 
over $80 billion from the U.S. government in the year 1928. The said unlawful taking consisting of the unlawful creation of claims against the U.S. Treasury to the extent of over $80 billion in the year 1928. And I charged them with similar thefts committed in 1929, 1930, 
and with having made unlawful advances of Fed currency and with having unlawfully permitted renewals of acceptances and renewals of other circulating evidences of debt and with having permitted acceptance bankers and discount dealer corporations and other private bankers to violate the banking laws of the United States. Would you like to continue? Do you know where we're at? Yes. Whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having conspired to have evidence of debt to the extent of $1 billion artificially created at the end of February 1933 and early in March 1933, and with having made unlawful issues and advances of Fed currency on the security of said artificially created evidences of debt for a sinister purpose, and with having assisted in the execution of said sinister purpose, and whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having brought about the repudiation of the currency obligations of the Fed banks to the people of the United States, and with having conspired to obtain a release for the Fed board and the Fed banks from their contractual liability to redeem all Fed currency and gold or lawful money at the Fed bank, and with having defrauded the holders of Fed currency, and with having conspired to have the debts and losses of the Fed board and the Fed banks unlawfully transferred to the government and the people of the United States, and whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having unlawfully substituted Fed currency and other irredeemable paper currency for gold in the hands of the people after the decision to repudiate the Fed currency and the national currency was made known to them, and with thus having obtained money under false pretenses, and whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having brought about a repudiation of the notes of the U.S. in order that the gold value of the said currency might be given to private interests, foreign governments, foreign central banks of issue, and the Bank of International Settlements, and the people of the United States to be left without gold or lawful money and with no currency other than a paper currency irredeemable in gold. And I charged them with having done this for the benefit of private interests, foreign governments, foreign central banks of issue, and the Bank of International Settlements. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with conniving with the edge law banks and other edge law institutions, accepting banks and discount corporations, foreign central banks of issue, foreign commercial banks, foreign corporations, and foreign individuals with funds unlawfully taken from the United States Treasury. And I charged them with having unlawfully permitted and made possible new financing for foreigners at the expense of the United States Treasury to the extent of billions of dollars, and with having unlawfully permitted and made possible the bringing into the United States of immense quantities of foreign securities created in foreign countries for export to the United States, and with having unlawfully permitted the said foreign securities to be imported into the United States instead of gold, which was lawfully due to the United States on trade balances and otherwise, and with having lawfully permitted and facilitated the sale of the said foreign securities in the United States, and whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having unlawfully exported United States coins and currency for a sinister purpose, and with having deprived the people of the United States of their lawful medium of exchange, and I charged them with having arbitrarily and unlawfully reduced the amount of money and currency in circulation in the United States to the lowest rate per capita in the history of the government, 
so that the great mass of the people have been left without a sufficient medium of exchange, and I charge them with concealment and evasion and refusing to make known the amount of U.S. money and coins and paper currency exported and the amount remaining in the United States as a result of which refusal the Congress of the United States is unable to ascertain where the United States coins and issue of currency are at the present time and what amount of U.S. currency is now held abroad and Whereas I charge them jointly and severally with having arbitrarily and unlawfully raised and lowered the rates of money and with having arbitrarily increased and diminished the volume of currency in circulation for the benefit of private interests at the expense of the government and the people of the United States and with having unlawfully manipulated money rates, wages, salaries, and property values, both real and personal, in the United States by unlawful operations in the open discount market and by resale and repurchase agreements unsanctioned by law. And, and that, whereas I charge... That, that's exactly how they caused the Great Depression, right? That's exactly and whereas, the Depression and the, and the stock market crash in 1929. Well, it was engineered. Well, well right. He's explaining how, how many people realize that, though, that he's explaining how it was engineered. How many Americans... They think that the Great Depression was caused because of the excess of businesses and the fact that businesses weren't regulated by those evil Republicans, and we needed FDR with his New Deal. Whereas I charge them jointly and severally with having brought about the decline in prices on the New York Stock Exchange and other exchanges in October 1929 by unlawful manipulation of money rates and the volume of U.S. money and currency in circulation, by theft of funds from the United States Treasury, by gambling and acceptances in U.S. government securities, by service, rendered, by service rendered to foreign and domestic speculators and politicians, and by unlawful sale of United States gold reserves abroad. And whereas the unconstitutional inflation law embedded in the so-called Farm Relief Act, by which the Fed banks are given permission to buy U.S. government securities to the extent of $3 billion dollars, and to draw forth currency from the people's treasury to the extent of $3 billion is likely to result in connivance on the part of said accused with others in the purchase by the feds of the U.S. government securities to the extent of $3 billion with U.S. government's own credit unlawfully taken, it being obvious that the fed does not intend to pay anything of value to the U.S. government for said U.S. government securities no provision for payment in gold or lawful money appearing in the so-called Farm Relief Bill, and the U.S. government will thus be placed in a position of conferring a gift of $3 billion in U.S. government securities on the Fed to enable, to, pay, to enable them to pay more on their bad debts to foreign governments, foreign central banks of issue, private interests and private and commercial banks, both foreign and domestic, and the Bank of International Settlements. And whereas the U.S. government will thus go into debt to the extent of $3 billion and will have an additional claim of $3 billion in currency unlawfully created against it, and whereas no private interest should be permitted to buy U.S. government securities with the government's own credit unlawfully taken, and whereas currency should not be issued for the benefit of said private interests or any interests on U.S. government securities so acquired, and whereas it has been publicly stated and not denied that the inflation amendment of the Farm Relief Act is the matter of benefit which was secured by Ramsey MacDonald, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, 
upon the occasion of his latest visit to the U.S. Treasury, and whereas there is grave danger that the accused will employ the provision creating U.S. government securities to the extent of $3 billion and $3 millions in currency to be issuable thereupon for the benefit of themselves and their foreign principles, and that they will convert the currency so obtained to the uses of Great Britain by secret arrangements with the Bank of England, of which they are the agents, and for which they maintain an account and perform services at the expense of the United States Treasury, and that they will likewise confer benefits upon the Bank of International Settlements, for which they maintain an account and perform services at the expense of the United States Treasury. Would you like to take over for a minute? And whereas I charge them jointly and severally with, the, with having concealed the insolvency of the Fed and with having failed to report the insolvency of the Fed to the Congress and with having conspired to have said to have these said insolvent institutions continue in operation and with having permitted the said insolvent institutions to receive U.S. government funds and other deposits and with having permitted them to exercise control over the gold reserves of the United States and with having permitted them to transfer upward of $100 billion of their debts and losses to the general public and the government of the United States and with having permitted foreign debts of the Fed to be paid with the property, the savings, the wages, and the salaries of the people of the U.S. and with the farms and the homes of the American people. And whereas I charge them with forcing the bad debts of the Fed upon the general public covertly and dishonestly, and with the taking of the general wealth and savings of the people of the United States under false pretenses to pay the debts of the Fed to foreigners. And that's the same. Yeah, you know, this is a microcosm. This, this is a much smaller version of the same scam that the Jews have pulled over and over again ever since. And, and, and they've been pulling the same scam now it's rather routine, right? Whereas I charge them jointly and severally with violations of the Fed Act and other laws, with maladministration of the evasions of federal law and other laws, and with having unlawfully failed to report violations of law on the part of the Fed banks, which, if known, would have caused the Fed banks to lose their char charters. And whereas I charge them jointly and severally with failure to protect and maintain the gold reserves and the gold stock and the gold coinage of the U.S., and with having sold the gold reserves of the, reserves of the U.S. to foreign governments, foreign central banks of issue, foreign commercial and private banks, and other foreign institutions and individuals at a profit to themselves, and I charge them with having sold gold reserves of the U.S. so that between 1924 and 1928, the U.S. gained no gold on net account but suffered a decline in its percentage of central gold reserves from the 45.9% in 1924 to 37.5% in 1928, notwithstanding the fact that the U.S. had a favorable balance of trade throughout that period. And so there should have been no loss, right? Whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having conspired to concentrate the U.S. government securities and thus the national debt of the United States in the hands of foreigners and international moneylenders and with having conspired to transfer to foreigners and international moneylenders, Title II and control of 
the financial resources of the United States. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having fictitiously paid installments on the national debt with government credit unlawfully taken. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with the loss of the U.S. government funds entrusted to their care. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having destroyed independent banks in the United States and with having thereby caused losses amounting to billions of dollars to the said banks and to the general public of the United States. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with the failure to furnish true reports of the business operations and the true conditions of the Fed to the Congress and the people and having furnished false and misleading reports to the Congress of the United States. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having published false and misleading propaganda intended to deceive the American people and to cause the U.S. to lose its independence. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with unlawfully allowing Great Britain to share in the profits of the Fed at the expense of the government and the people of the U.S. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally having entered into secret agreements and illegal transactions with Montag Norman, the governor of the Bank of England, and whereas I charged them jointly and severally with swindling the U.S. Treasury and the people of the U.S. and pretending to have received payment from Great Britain of the amount due on a British war debt to the U.S. government in December 1932. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having conspired with their foreign principals and others to defraud the U.S. government and to prevent the people of the U.S. from receiving payment of the war debts due to the U.S. from foreign nations. And whereas I charged them jointly and severally with having robbed the U.S. government and the people of the U.S. by their theft and sale of the gold reserves of the U.S., and other unlawful transactions created a deficit in the U.S. Treasury, which has necessitated, to a large extent, the destruction of our national defense and the reduction of the United States Army and Navy and other branches of the national defense, and, whereas I charge them jointly and severally, of having reduced the U.S. from a first-class power to one that is dependent, and with having reduced the U.S. from a rich and powerful nation to one that is internationally poor, and whereas I charged them jointly and severally with the crime of having treasonably conspired and acted against the peace and security of the U.S., and with having treasonably conspired to destroy the U.S. Cons the constitutional government in the United States. Resolved, that was the last of the charges, right? Resolved that the Committee on the Judiciary is authorized and directed as a whole or by subcommittee to investigate the official conduct of the Federal Reserve agents to determine whether, in the opinion of the said committee, they have been guilty of any high crime or misdemeanor which in contemplation of the Constitution requires the interposition of the constitutional powers of the House. Such committee shall report its finding to the House together with such resolution or resolutions of impeachment or other recommendations as it deems proper. For the purpose of this resolution, the committee is authorized to sit back during the present Congress at such times and places in the District of Columbia or elsewhere, whether or not the House is sitting, has recessed or has adjourned 
to hold such clerical, stenographic, and other assistance to require of such witnesses and a production of such books, papers, and documents to take such testimony, to have such printing and binding done, and to make such expenditures as it deems necessary. After some discussion, and upon the motion of Mr. Burns, the resolution and charge was referred to the Committee on the Judiciary, and it was never acted on. And we end our presentation here tonight. So theoretically, it, it's, it's still before the Committee on the Judiciary, so why isn't Ron Paul doing anything to revive these charges? Does he sit on the Judiciary Committee? I don't know. Who is, on, who is the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee? Well, I have not a clue right now. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be acted on. The charges will never be acted on. The, the present chairman is Lamar Smith, a Republican from Texas. The important thing is that the, these charges were made. They were made in 1933, that the, um, and, and they were never acted on, and they were never aired in public. Oh, and Lamar's middle name, Lamar Seligson Smith, identifies as an Episcopal or a Christian scientist, but with a middle, with a middle name Seligson, I'm assuming that he's a wet Jew. I have no doubt with a middle name like Seligson that he's a Jew. I was listed as a Jew. So we will resume then next week, correct? Yes, we'll resume with the second half of this document next week, which it's really interesting because in the second half of this document, um, Lewis McFadden spells out, names the criminals, and, and tells us they're Jews, and, and explains that he, he actually gets into some of the history of Jacob Schiff and, and um, the financing of the Bolshevik Revolution and a whole lot of the other crimes committed by the, the international Jewish mafia, which took over the United States with the, with, with the passing, well, well, if it was ever indeed passed, of, of the, passed legitimately, of the Federal Reserve Act. And that's when the United States was basically absconded by a Jewish mafia, an, an international Jewish mafia. There's no doubt. Well, we've been owned by them for 99 years now. Thank you for joining me tonight. I will be here next Friday from New York with Clifton Emmerheiser. And we will be talking about his new paper, The Statue of Liberty, an Edomite Trojan Horse, and the Jewish Forcing of diversity and multiculturalism on America. Praise Yahweh and good night. Praise Yahweh. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.